Welcome back to Daybreak Devotions, right here from the McLeansville Baptist Church. Oh, Pastor Mike Barnett with you today, and it's it's my day to go solo. Pastor Corey was with us yesterday, or with you yesterday, and I get to take on the Tuesday. I'm taking on Tuesdays around here. Well, just this week anyway, and uh, hopefully we'll be back together on tomorrow's broadcast. But I'm very excited to come to you today. I'm going to be looking in Psalm 75. I have been in these Psalms of Asaph for several days. Sunday, here at the church, we looked at Psalm 73. And Psalm 75 really captured my attention a few days ago. And I just made some notes that uh, I wanted to just bring in today and share with you. I want to encourage you in terms of what this Psalm is teaching us. And it is teaching us both what we are to be doing and what God is doing. What is God up to right now? What are we supposed to be up to? Well, those are the things that we want to look at. But I'll go ahead and tell you this, too. As I went through this psalm, I understood it to be teaching this primary thought that has clung with me, and that is the superior Christ. He is above all. He is above all. And I thought of a song as I was kind of rounding out my studies on this the other day, and this is a wonderful hymn that I know you're going to enjoy on today's broadcast, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. See 
That is great. What a wonderful, wonderful song and how we need to be surveying the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Not because that's where we stay. I thank the Lord for the empty tomb. I'm thankful for not only did Jesus' death give me forgiveness of sin, but it gives me entrance into life, the life that I am to be living now for him and with him. Well, that brings me to Psalm 75 this morning, and I hope you found your place there. I look forward to sharing a few thoughts with you. Psalm 75, unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks, for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. When shall I receive the congregation? I will judge uprightly. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. I bear up the pillars of it, Selah. Now, you'll notice in this psalm that there is some back and forth. There's the words of the psalm writer, and then there are the words of the Lord that are being conveyed for us. Um, as he comes to verse number 4, I said unto the fools, Deal not foolishly, and to the wicked lift not up the horn, lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck, for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. And I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. I, I just began to think on this psalm, and it seemed as though it was trying to teach me something and obviously teach us something. And so I just started out with that question, what is this teaching me? And I, I believe that in terms of my life and your life, what our focus and pursuit should be, this psalm has something to say. And the very first thing that it clearly points out and makes certain is that we are to be involved in ongoing, relentless worship of God. Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks. Now, when you think about that, that is a, a simple act. It's not requiring any spectacular thing out of us to simply give God thanks. Now, we know we have a lot to thank God for. We could actually, if we wanted to, get in the habit of thanking God for the breath we just took. We could get into the habit of thanking God for the morning blessings that we've enjoyed, the beautiful weather, the laughter of children, the fellowship at church this week. On and on and on it goes. There's always something to give God thanks for. And our work in life, our focus in life, our pursuit of life must include worship. Even at the end of the psalm, he says, I declare forever I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. So worship is something we need to be involved in. I, I think another fair word to think about our focus and what we should do. Now, in terms of today, tomorrow, the next day, and all the days of our life, worship, but then this, warning, warning. We should be in the, the focus and pursuit of warning the wicked. I said unto the fools, verse 4, Deal not foolishly, and to the wicked lift not up the horn. Lift not up your horn on high. Speak not with a stiff neck. 
We need to be warning the people that are living contrary to God. They're living a life where they're not in pursuit of that which is holy and life and truth and light. Those are the people that need to hear your voice today. You'll encounter somebody that needs that warning. Now, I certainly don't mean that we need to be Christian jerks. Now, that's an oxymoron. I don't mean getting in people's faces. I don't mean turn and burn cliche slogans like that. I I mean we warn people from a place of love. We warn people with the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, the same mind of Christ that said to James and John, you know not man, what manner you, you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so we warn men and women from that spirit. We should be busy about worshiping God every day. And as the occasion arises, we should warn others. You'll meet somebody today. Now, again, let me just clarify. I'm not saying that God is expecting you, because some of you would be like me. If I, had, if I had the impression that I was supposed to go up to anybody I thought was lost and warn them that if they die without Jesus, they're going to hell, I'd be a little uncomfortable with that kind of an approach. Just be honest about it. Some people have so conditioned themselves to say things like that. Most of the time, that's not going to work. But what I'm speaking of is when we know we're talking to someone who has revealed by their, their own words, their own, their own testimony, that they are walking opposite of God's will and way, then we should warn them. And what are we to warn them of? Well, that's coming up in, in the study here. But we should be in worship. We should be warning. And I think wisdom is another word that I see here. Verse number 6, where the, the psalmist is still speaking to the fools and the wicked. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. This is, I think, wisdom. It is the ability to discern. You know, when you think about it, the world really emphasizes the celebrities, the powerful people, the ones who are in the positions of authority. They seem to be celebrated. They seem to be looked to as the movers and shakers. They seem to congratulate themselves and promote one another so long as it's getting them where they want to go. But the reality is is that neither of those, no politician, no celebrity, no person with a, a title or a rank, is in charge of the world. Promotion does not come from the east, the west, the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. And we need to have discernment about these things and not be overcome by the prosperity of the wicked, if you will, to borrow from Asaph's earlier psalm, Psalm 73, to not become envious at the foolish when we see the wicked prosper, to think that somehow or another they're living these enchanted lives above the problems because they have money and authority and they have uh, riches and wealth and things and servants and popularity that somehow they don't, they don't live with problems. Friends, the reality is anybody, no matter how wealthy or poor they are, who is not living in the kingdom of God is living a life full of problems, and they're not living a life to be envious of. Whether you're rich or poor doesn't really matter. It's whether you're in the kingdom of God or not. Rich people in the kingdom of God are blessed, just like poor people in the kingdom of God. But rich or poor outside of that kingdom they are not living a blessed life. Now that's referencing back to Matthew chapter 5 and uh, Jesus' beatitudes which he spoke to the crowd that day. So worship, warning, wisdom, but don't forget this one, the witness. 
and, and I know it, it's kind of, it's very akin to the warning. It's very akin to the wisdom. But verse 9 says, I will declare forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. And in the context, he says, what, what am I declaring? I'm declaring who God is. And in this context, the verse 10 says, the horns of the wicked will I cut off. That's the Lord speaking. But the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. We need to make sure that we're being a witness for God in all that we do. By the way we conduct ourselves, by the way we do business, by the way we work on the job, by the way we raise our children, by the way we drive. Oh, I had to go there, didn't I? As students, by the way we go to school and the effort we put into our studies. As ministers, by the way that we minister to God's church. As Christians, by the way we see the poor and the helpless and the homeless and the down and outs and the downtroddens on the street. When we see those people that are living in very open, clear, wicked lives, how do we respond to them? Do we treat them like the, the, the scribe and the priest who walked on the other side of the road when they saw that Samaritan laying in the ditch? Or do we treat them like Jesus would have us to, to love our neighbors ourselves, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? By the way, that's the golden rule, right? The golden rule comes from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, do unto others as ye would have them do unto you. The golden rule is not so well lived by in our culture today. Most people live more by what we call the silver rule, which is don't do to someone else what you would not want them to do to you. Can you hear the difference? The golden rule, do unto others as ye would have them do unto you. A very positive, a very proactive uh, rule. The, the silver rule is not a bad rule, nothing wrong with it, but it's not the gold rule. The silver rule says, don't do unto others what you would not want them to do unto you. And it's a very standoffish, passive approach to life. It is the way most people live. While the way of the kingdom is the golden rule, the way of decent society would be the silver rule. Now, you and I, of course, want to be living the golden rule and being that witness for the Lord. So this is what the psalm is teaching me about what my focus is. What am I to be doing? But then I see it also telling me what God is doing. What is God up to? Well, first of all, I want us to see that God is present. Now this is important for us to remember, especially when we're living in times of uncertainty or difficulty or trial. I mean, think of just the stuff I've heard in the last week of tragedies that have gone on around the world. By the way, insert a little teaching point here. Your soul's not built to carry the tragedies of the globe. And the more we allow our soul to be heaped upon with all the bad news, man, the harder it is to live in freedom and joy. So be aware of that. There's got to be some letting go of some of the bad news. But back to the point, no matter what is going on, no matter where the trouble is or the level of uncertainty or chaos in the world, know that God is present. You know, when I read verse 1 and 2, it says, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks, for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. God is near. And the person who is worshiping God and walking in wisdom and living as a witness will be able to discern the nearness of God. Again, I would reference you back to Psalm 73. What a great study in that in that psalm of the difference between living the self-life that Asaph was confessing and then the sanctuary life that he got into that, that cleared his heart and mind up. 
When we live in the sanctuary, when we live in the presence and protection of God, we're able to know that he's near and we can see his wondrous works that he is doing. But know this, God is present and he is providing. God is doing something. God is doing more right now than you and I could ever imagine. And when it seems like God's not doing anything, trust me, he's doing unfathomable things. What did Paul say to us in Ephesians, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. So whatever your situation is that you're wrestling in right now and you're fighting doubts and fears and wondering if God's going to intervene, God's already intervened. You might not see it yet, but you can know for sure he's present, he's providing, he's doing something. And then it tells me in verse number three that God is also preserving Here, the the Lord is speaking. The earth and all the inhabitants thereof are dissolved. They're weakening. They seem to be crumbling. But he says, I bear up the pillars of it. I hold it together. I do that. That's God. He preserves it. There is nothing that can happen that does not have to come through the permissive will of God. He has to sign off on it. And if he signs off on it, that means he's got it. He's got it. You say, well, I don't understand why God would let this happen or God would let these other things happen because he's a God of redemption. Because he takes the tragedy that's not his fault and not his doing, but it is the work of evil, the evil that has permeated this world since man turned on God, since Satan rebelled in heaven, really. And that work of the enemy in conjunction with a world system that is built on antichrist, that connecting to the fallen nature of the human soul, there's just a lot of evil in the world. But see, God's not only the God of redemption, he redeems the evil and he turns it to good. He gives beauty for ashes. He turns our mourning into dancing. But he is also the God of process and formation. And God is working through this evil and through these tragedies and through these trials to form us into sons and daughters of God, to become what we are made to be in Christ. Thank God for that. That, that trial that you had to endure. When it's easy, anybody can do it. But easy doesn't form sons and daughters of God who are destined to reign as co-regents with Christ. No. And that's what, God's not interested in that kind of soft, passive, kind of weak stuff. He's raising up champions. So God is preserving. He's holding it all together. He's doing something even when it looks like he's not. But let me also say this psalm teaches me that God is... And again, building off that last one, he's presiding. Verse 6 and 7, promotion cometh neither from the east, west, or the south. God is the judge. He putteth down one, setteth up another. God is presiding over things. And we can trust that. We can be sure of that. It made me think of Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 49, I am come to send fire on the earth, Jesus said. And what will I if it be already kindled? In other words, Jesus said, I came to bring fire. What kind of fire? The fire of judgment. And he said, if it were up to me, it would have already be lit right now. I mean, he wants the judgment. Why? Why would Jesus have wanted judgment so much? Because judgment will bring the rectifying of all things into the perfect will of God and the harmony of holiness. And Jesus knows that. Judgment is coming. It's unavoidable. We are destined for it. The world is destined for it. And Jesus says, I come to bring the fire on the earth. What will I if it be already kindled? But I have a baptism to to be baptized with. And how am I straightened 
till it be accomplished. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house, divided three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This is showing us that in spite of all the chaos and what looks like utter disaster around us, Jesus reigns and God presides over all. Now, to the point of what I am supposed to be doing, worshiping, warning, living with wisdom, witnessing to the world, to the lost, to even to other Christians who are, who are straying. And to that point, this is why you and I must live holy lives so as not to undermine our role in the kingdom, so as not to sabotage our spiritual growth. Going back a couple of weeks to 2 Peter 1, we spent a lot of days in that. And Peter said we're to do all those things of adding to our faith, ultimately why? So that we will not be fruitless, but that we can be useful to God's kingdom. We don't want to become like Lot, living in Sodom, useless to God's kingdom. A righteous man vexing his soul, living among all that, seeing and hearing it daily. That's not how we're supposed to live our life. That's not kingdom living. That's not Christ-like living. And so, to the point of our emphasis and focus, we need to live holy lives so as not to undermine our role. But in terms of what God is doing, all those things, he's present to us, he's providing, he's preserving all that is the world right now under his hand because he presides over it in judgment. This is why our attention and affection and, and, and appreciation and appetites must be solely on God. We need him. We need a divine context for everything in our lives. The world promotes, again, the people of the world, the smart, the glamorous, the powerful. But that is a false system, a false system based on a faulty measure. Because he says in verse 4 through 7 again that it, God is in charge of all this. And then the people of the world do lift up their horns. That is, they hold their heads high and proud. They will answer to God. They will answer to the one who is above all, who says in verse 10, all the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. And they need to know this. They need to be told why. Who is it that he's speaking of? Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to these verses, verse 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he, Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, listen to what he's done, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to, unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What is the writer telling us? He's telling us about the superior Christ, the one to whom all of us must give account, the one to, who, who by himself purged 
our sins, who upholds all things by the word of his power. And then we have Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 and 20. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, the superior Christ. And so we ought to set up and take this very serious. Look at what God has said of his son. We must realize that, that the Father, according to the Father, Jesus is the one that we will stand before one day, the superior Christ who has done all these things. And the question I ask you today is, are you ready? Are you ready? As a sinner, are we ready? Are you ready? As a saint of God, are you ready? Are you in that place right now where you are comfortable knowing that you will stand before the superior Christ? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about the sinless perfection that is not ours right now, but I am talking about striving unto perfection. I am talking about striving against sin. You know, that verse there says, in verse number 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. He who now bears the cup first drank the cup. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, yes, friend, he has the right. He's the judge. All things are owed to him. <laughs> 